You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we continue to revisit some of my favorite podcasts from the past in this Millennial Investing Rewind. If you've missed our previous Rewind episodes, we've started to reshare some older episodes that are my favorites for a few reasons. One, we get a bunch of new listeners each week, so the new listeners may not have heard this episode before. Two, even if you've been listening for a while, you may have missed this episode when it originally came out. Or three, even if you've heard it before, it can be a great episode to learn from again. If you've already heard this episode or you're not interested in hearing it, feel free to just skip it. There's no harm in that, and you can pick up with our new episodes next week. All right, guys, that's all I had for you for this new intro. Everything going forward is going to be from the original show. Hope you guys enjoy it. On today's show, I chat with Austin Bully about how to build a side hustle and or a business on social media, how to build systems and processes in your side hustles, how to deal with stock market crashes, four hobbies everyone should have, why everyone is a trader, and much, much more. Austin is a young investor, entrepreneur, and podcast host. He founded the investing software platform, education company, and podcast called The Impeccable Investor. Austin might not have as much experience as some of the other guests that we've had on the show, but Austin is only 20 years old, and I love what he's doing in this space, and I can't wait to see what he's able to build. I joined Austin on his podcast on the episode that was released on April 29th, 2021. I've put a link to that episode below in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out as well. Now, without further delay, Let's get right into this week's episode of the Millennial Investing Podcast with Austin Booley. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Austin Booley. Austin, tell us a bit about yourself and what got you to where you are today. What got you interested in finance? So I got into investing in the finance world when I was 16. I was sick one day from school and I somehow find myself watching a documentary on Warren Buffett. I don't know how I found myself watching that, but actually it wasn't on Warren Buffett. It was on the richest men in the world. And I was like, oh yeah, let's watch this. Let's learn something cool from it. Maybe I can, I don't know, become rich one day, right? And so I was watching that and Warren Buffett came up, right? So they had some guy who was trying to get to Mars, some guy who was trying to extend human's life through robotics and science and all that stuff. And then there was Warren Buffett, who all he did was he sat down and he read about companies, read about stocks, and he was a billionaire. And I was like, that's so easy. I can do that, right? I had a bit of a math background. I'm like, that should be easy. And so I started on that journey and I started researching more about investing. And the more I started researching, the more confusing it got, right? And so that was back in 2016. And back then it was like, there wasn't much info online about investing. And I should have thought about books, but I didn't. And so it was more of like, okay, I know what these ratios are. I don't fully know what they mean. And I don't know what I'm looking for in each ratio. So as I was doing that, it just kept getting confusing and overwhelming because I was like, okay, so this ratio is low, which is good, but then this ratio is high, which is bad. So does this equal each other out or does it mean it's good because this one's good? And it really was just kind of like a lost cause for me. 
So I moved on from the investing world. And of course, like almost everyone who starts in the stock market, they all see those day trading ads and videos on YouTube. So I saw one of those and I was like, okay, this is all about patterns. It's quick and awesome. And the reason why I was kind of drawn to it was because in the finance and the long-term investing world, you don't know if you pick the right stock for at least a few years, right? Like you can buy a stock, but you don't know if it's going to go up and make money for another year or so. And so because of that, I like knowing if I made the right choice sooner than later. And so with day trading, I was able to know instantly whether I made the right choice or not. And so a lot of good comes from that and a lot of bad, right? And so I started day trading and it was more on the paper trading scale. So what really happened with that was I was just using fake money, but I was following these guys on YouTube. I was researching every pattern, every strategy, everything that I could do. And after a while, I figured out, you know what? This isn't the best strategy because I thought I knew what I was doing on paper trading. I had confidence. And then the next thing you know, I took it with real money. And from the real money, I ended up losing a bunch of real money from that. And so I was like, all right, day trading is not the thing. And then I found my way on to swing trading, which is holding a stock from a week to three months. So I'm basically a shorter term investor. I am looking for value that's going to play out in the next week or month. And so that's really what came down to it is I found swing trading because I could know if I was right sooner and I could also use both a technical and fundamental analysis when looking at stocks and it just opened up a whole new world. And so now what I do is I do very data back science. I make sure that all the odds, all these statistics are in my favor when I make a investment slash trade. And so that's kind of how I got into it. And it's just kept my interest ever since, right? Because we learn as you get into finance world, you learn about things like compound interest. How if you stay invested, like there's literally no way you don't become rich over time. And so concepts like that and just living a life where you can have peace and have freedom because you know that your money is under control and your money's not controlling you. It's just an amazing way to live life, especially being that I am still a college senior, but hearing stories from my friends about the debt that they're taking on from college, just the overwhelm and the confusion. And when you add debt and money problems into just a confusing situation in general, like what you wanna do with the rest of your life, it makes it a lot harder to make that choice or figure out what you're trying to do. And so when there's less money problems, you tend to figure out things a lot better. And so with that all in general, that's how I started in the finance world. I found Warren Buffett, I found day trading, and then I settled on swing trading. And I really just love how I can use money to improve life, improve my future, and just overall have a more peaceful and more free life when you're in control of your finances. Before we get into a discussion about investing, I want to touch on your social media business. How and why did you get started on social media? The story of how I got started in social media is actually a funny story to me. So I am an introvert. You're not going to see me on stage talking to people, leading a crowd or anything like that. But what I was doing is I was very good with numbers and patterns. Like I said, I went from investing to day trading to swing trading and swing trading is kind of where I found my grounds. And because of that, just looking at the market and watching the market for like two years straight every single day you just start to pick up on patterns and ways that the stocks move and react to certain news. It's just something that happens when you're so used to stocks. And so when that happened, I started noticing some patterns in the stock market. And around this time, it was March 2018. So I was been in the market for about two years then. And I noticed some things when the market started to crash. I was like, okay, it looks like it's going to crash further and all this stuff. 
And so I had friends who I was explaining that to, and the people who were actually interested in stocks were like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I would love to hear your thoughts on it, like more on like a daily basis. I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. And so that night I went into the community college that I was at and I went into their back and the library and no one was there. And I sat down and I recorded a video. I just simply got on my laptop. I did a simple screen share and I said, all right, guys, this is what I think the market is doing. This is what I think it will be doing and why. And then I kind of made that video. It was probably a five to 10 minute video. And then I put it up on YouTube. And then from there, I kind of just stepped back and did my thing. And then I came back to that video maybe about two months later. And it had like, I think it was like over 2,000 or 3,000 views, which for me at the time, or for anybody starting on YouTube at the time, was just insane, right? Having nobody to all this. And in addition to that, there were a bunch of comments of like, man, I would love to hear your thoughts more. Tell us about this stock. Tell us about this, whatever. And so I didn't really know what I was doing, but then my social media journey just became me documenting the process of me learning more about the market because I continue to learn more every single day. And so because I'm one step ahead of the beginner, I mean, one step is general, but because I'm ahead of the beginner, I'm able to share what I learned and how I learned it. And I'm able to simplify it into that process. And that's what I love doing because when I got started, as I was explaining, investing is really confusing and overwhelming. And there's a lot of things you need to consider. And when, especially when you talk to investment professionals, they make things sound so complex and they don't know how to put it in simple words, right? Because they got their MBA or their doctorate in this stuff. And so they know all these complex words. But me coming from someone who just learned it, I was able to turn around and to explain it to people in a very simple and easy way. And that's what I love doing. So it started off on YouTube. I just started making videos about stocks and about the stock market. And it just started growing from there. And then people said, Austin, I would love to follow you elsewhere. And so they said, you know, other places. And so after YouTube, the next big thing that I started was Instagram. And so on Instagram, I kind of started that as another way to reach people, right? So really, it's just a way of sharing that information, sharing that knowledge and helping people grow and become more knowledgeable on the stock market and reaching them where they are. And so I know I had an audience on YouTube and an audience on Instagram. And then I was like, well, I might as well just do podcasts as well. And so I started making a podcast. And so that's kind of how I got started and why I got started on social media. And so now that's basically what I do full time is helping people with investing through those platforms. And so, yeah, I really enjoy it. And they all have their pros and cons, but I think we'll get into that here soon. How were you able to grow such a large following on Instagram? So how did I grow such a large following on Instagram? It's a really good question. So basically how it went was I started it, I think it was in late 2019 is when I started it. That may be wrong. Somewhere in 2019, 2020 is when I started on Instagram. And so what I did was my main goal is I went around and I followed a bunch of people on finance and stocks on Instagram. And I was looking through their content and it looked like a bunch of generic stuff. It was all copy and paste from one another. And it was just really like annoying for me to see because it really wasn't anything educational or informational. So it was just, oh, this, oh, that. It's like a bunch of, I don't know, like it's hard to explain, but it wasn't something that people can actually use to learn about stocks and to grow their knowledge. And so because of that, from day one, I mean, I do this on all my platforms, but it's just to over provide and to over deliver to make sure that people are actually learning how the stock market works in a simple and easy to understand way. And so because that was my goal from YouTube, I brought that same thought process 
into Instagram. And so what I started doing, I was like, okay, I mean, with the same thing with YouTube, right? Like you don't know which video will do super well. So you just have to make a bunch of videos and eventually one will do well. And then you can start to copy that and mimic that and then continue on. And so I took the same idea into Instagram. So I was like, all right, I don't know what's going to do well and what's not. And especially in the beginning when I have no followers, I need to be seen. So I just started posting as much as I could. So I kind of stuck to the same idea and I'm still holding to it today where I post three times every single day for posts and stories I tried to do every two hours. And to most people that may be a lot, but that's what worked for me. So in the beginning, that's what I was doing and I still try to do that now. And it's just because if I can get my knowledge out there, my message out there and people can see it more, then I should have more followers in return and that's kind of what I did. So that was my idea on how I should use my content. But at the same time, the content that I was pushing was very easy to follow content. Like, hey guys, this is what a dividend is. This is what the stock market is. If you wanna make money every single month through dividends, these are the stocks you can do to do that. Oh, okay, are you curious how you should be investing based on your age? Here's a breakdown of how that gets done. And so a lot of these posts that you'll see around in Instagram is awesome to see because some of them were started by me, these most viral ones. And that's really what I did is just make truly educational content that anybody can understand and that people want to share to help others. And so my idea was all around educational and viral content. And so that's the type of content that I made. And I did that three times a day and I shared my stories. And on the story strategy part, it was more about being personal and educational and building a relationship with them. So what I was doing there was I was doing weekend Q&As every single weekend where you can ask me a question and I will give you an answer. I was doing things like stock news, what's going on, here's what I'm seeing and why. And then I was throwing in some personal stuff like, hey, I'm at, I'm doing a pickleball tournament this week or whatever else. And because of that, I was able to build a relationship with my audience as well as giving them some great knowledge and education. So that was my basis for that. And then, so that's where the bulk of my growth came from. I also did a bunch of shout outs for shout outs with other accounts, AKA when accounts have a similar size following to me, we would share each other or do a cross promotional post. So for instance, like the top 10 highest paying dividend stocks in the S&P 500. And then on my post, it would have the first five and on the other guys, it would have six through 10. And so we would link back to one another. And those are great ways for growth as well. And just a lot of cool like hacks like that that we did. And yeah, that's kind of how I grew my social media following on Instagram. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com mi. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com mi for your extended 30-day free trial. 
Go to monarchmoney.com slash MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. When it comes to content creation, how do you handle that logistically? Are you the one creating and posting every piece of content on your page, or do you have help? Content creation can be a chore, especially the amount that I was posting, right? And so when I first started, yeah, it was a lot. Like I was doing it all myself. It was just me. I wasn't making money. So I had to do it myself. And so with that, I would stay up late. There'd be like hours into midnight or whatever on multiple days creating content, right? Because if I'm doing three a day, that's what, like 21 a week or something. It's, it's crazy. And so with that, I tried to make sure I had as many original posts as possible. Like I wasn't repeating. And so, yeah, that was a lot of work. And so the process in the beginning was just me coming up with what I wanted to teach with the questions that I was getting and then finding a way to make it useful and to display it on a post that people can understand in a quick manner. And so that's what I was doing on Instagram with content creation at first. And then I did that for a good year. So for the first year of Instagram, it was literally only me creating content every single week. And that was a weekly thing that I would have to do to stay up to date. And so that's what I did. And then now that I'm starting to get to more of a larger scale, because after the first year, I think I hit around 100 and I want to say 120, 130,000 followers on Instagram just from posting that much. And then I was like, okay, I need someone to free up my time because I can do better things with my time and the nicest way of saying that, right? And so with that, I found a virtual assistant that had some experience with Canva, which is the platform that I use to create content. And so with that, I would split up the content. So at first it started with, hey, I want you to make these types of posts. And they were just very viral, funny Twitter type posts. And so it was very easy for them to make. And then I would make the purely educational ones. And so it helped free up my time. And so from there, it was like a 50-50 split of hey, I want to create this content and you can create the easier content that takes less knowledge. 
And then as it progressed, I then got another virtual assistant who had a knowledge of the stock market and also has a great experience with Canva and Photoshop. And they kind of took the reins from there. So basically what I do is I go, hey, I want content on this type of subject or we're going to cover these type of questions and be like, okay, people are asking this a lot. Let's cover this. And what happens is this, she's really good and she makes the post and I review the post before she posts it. And then yeah, it's been good. And so with that, it was more about finding the right person because again, content creation is very hard, but the thing that made it easy to adapt is one, the virtual assistant that I'm using now came from my Instagram followers. So they are very aware of my agenda, my content, the way that it's usually set up. And because of that, it worked really well. Also having posts that I've done in the past shows it allows them to go back and review. Okay how would Austin structure this type of content? And so they can see my normal formatting, my normal setup. And because of that, I kind of had a setup checklist item to show them how to make great content. And because of that, it was very easy to transition someone into taking over that role for me. Now at the moment and still today, I do review every single post made because I wanna make sure that it fits our agenda and helps them understand and doesn't confuse them more and that it's great content. And so I do still review that, but I'm no longer making content. And so that's on the content creation side. When it comes down to like scheduling and all that, I use software called later.com. And so later.com allows us to schedule with captions and all that great stuff. And so that's where we schedule posts. And then on Creator Studio by Facebook, I schedule the IGTVs. And the IGTVs are really just the YouTube videos packaged into an IGTV. And that's a great way to reuse content. And so I'm able to reuse it because not everyone who follows me on Instagram follows me or watches my YouTube. And so because of that, I'm able to get views on both sides. And so it's really great to see that. And so yeah, just repurposing content, whether that's from podcast to Instagram to YouTube, whatever, and just scheduling it out so that it becomes less of a hassle. So I don't have to constantly post it myself. And it's a great way to do it. And now if someone is listening to this podcast and wants to get started for free and they want to schedule out their own content, later.com does cost money, but you can always go to creator studio, which is a thing created by Facebook and you can schedule posts there for free. The only thing that I found is that they're posting content quality like when it actually gets posted to instagram is quite low and so you just have to be careful of that but later.com does a great job and it's fairly cheap so that's how my content creation schedule goes i noticed you've recently launched a stock investing software i'm sure part of your instagram plan is to leverage your following to grow that software into a business but what else is your long-term goal with the impeccable investor yeah so i plan on using the instagram to help leverage the software because one, I created the software out of the questions and the need that was coming from my Instagram audience. So they were like, Austin, we need this. We would love this. I was getting the same questions over and over. And I realized I could have solved that with the software. And so that's why I pushed the software on Instagram. So because it's really helping people solve their questions and the main questions that I'm getting, like, how do I find the right stocks? Where do I buy, etc. And because of that, that's why I use the Instagram to promote it because it's just a perfect thing. But for a long-term goal, the amazing part is I used to sell like a mentorship type course program. And with that, because I am one of those guys in the stock market who hates the scammers, who hates all those people. And because of that, I try to be super honest. And that means that if I am selling information in a course on a specific topic, I really did not want to or did not like sharing any part of that course on 
or like for free on YouTube podcasts, wherever, right? Because I want the people paying for getting only that exclusive content. And so what the amazing part is that I no longer sell that mentorship slash course, and that's been over for a while. But with that, now that I'm no longer selling for that content, I'm able to give everything that I know for free. And so with that, really my goal behind and my long-term goal for the Impeccable Investor is to just truly help people and to share as much content as I can. I want the information that I'm sharing to be useful for decades, to be useful for centuries, right, if possible. And with that, I just want to help as many people as possible. I love the messages that I get. I know this is going to sound corny, but like I love when people say, Austin, like you changed my life. Austin, I'm investing now because of you. Austin, my kids were working on their retirement account because you like all that stuff is just great to hear. And like we live in a world, especially I know people bring this up a lot, but like our public school system doesn't teach investing and it doesn't teach finances and it doesn't teach you how to manage your money. And because of that, if I can just help one person, you know, from that journey coming out of high school or in high school to manage their finances just a bit better, then I would say my job has been done. And so because of that, really my long-term goal with the Impagable Investors to continue and to do our best to give as much information for free and make it as simple and easy and understandable as possible so that as many people in the world can understand it. And so that's really the goal with it. And I love that I'm able to do that full time. I posted on Instagram a while back saying that the reason personal finance isn't taught in school is because you'd realize you don't need to pay them as much as you are. You posted something similar recently saying that there's a reason why traditional education teaches you nothing about financial education. The system is designed to keep you in the same place. Expand on that quote a bit for us. Yeah. So we live in a world where money talks, right? The person who has the money is going to set the rules. So corporations lobby politicians to get certain laws done. People with money just tend to make the rules and set things the way they go. And when you set the rules and you have money, I'm not saying this is like, again, every rich person is selfish, but typically you're going to set up rules like anybody would do this. If anybody is in this position, they're going to set up rules and laws that keeps them in power and that helps them make more money. And so that's just human nature. That's the way that we are. And again, there are people who try to change that and try to be different. And that's awesome. And we should support those people. But in general, we're a very selfish type of people. And so if we have the right or we have the ability to make laws, we're going to do it so that it works out in our favor. And so I believe that happens with the school system as well, right? So the school system doesn't teach finances, right? So they mention things like, so in math, you'll do some credit card finance, you'll do some stuff like that, but it's not emphasized and it's not pushed, or at least as much as it should be, right? Like when people get out of high school, they don't know how to do their taxes. They don't really know or how to take advantage of a credit card to build up credit so that they can buy a house sooner without being in debt. They don't know how to use these things in this world to benefit themselves. They just know how to be a consumer because a consumer is the default mentality, right? If you're not taught to be an investor, if you're not taught to think about the upside, then you'll just by default be a consumer and live in that world. And it's not like we're training you to be that. You're just stuck in that because you don't know the other way. And so that's kind of where I was going at, where the rich are controlling that. And so the reason why I brought up the rich before I mentioned that thing about the public school system is because the rich are banks, are institutions, are people with, I'm going to mention this, is credit cards, right? And the reason why with credit cards is because credit cards make banks, makes institutions so much money. And you see this because 
their oncologist. They're like, hey, we'll give you this. We'll give you a free lunch meal if you take a credit card, if you sign up for our credit card today. Or, hey, we'll do this. And again, I'm not saying a credit card is bad. Obviously, you can use it right, but we're not teaching them how to use it right. And the financial institutions and the people who control that aren't going to teach them how to use it right. Because if people were using a credit card right, aka using it to build up credit and paying off the amount that they owe every single month, then their credit card companies would not be making money. And so because of that, it's all set up to help build and make people who benefit from consumerism make more money. And so with that, the rich, as in the people, the banks, the institutions, the corporations, they're not pushing or helping the public school system or any other system of financial education. And so that's kind of where I was going as the system is designed to keep you in the same place, because when you're in the same place, you're a consumer and you're going to help them make more money. So anything that they do or anything that an individual does to help educate them is going to be stopped, is going to be pushed out against because what? That means that they can't make as much money as they used to make. And so I hope I didn't go on a tangent there, but that's really my beliefs is that the public school system and traditional education doesn't teach you what you need to know about finances at this moment until we can somehow push it into the public school system. You need to learn yourself. And that's why the number one goal of everybody should be to be a self-learner, whether that's with finances or your job, you need to learn how to learn. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about and why I support, or I should say my business supports a nonprofit in high school that teaches financial education. And so I think that's a big deal and something that we need to work on doing better at. A lot of people are currently worried about an impending recession and stock market crash. Break down the history of stock market crashes over the past hundred years and explain why investors shouldn't necessarily be worried. I wish I knew with certain the history of all the crashes and exactly what happened. But I don't. So I know that there was the 2000, or I should say the 1999 to 2000.com bubble, and back in 2008, and then the 2016, and then whatever else. But what I do remember is the ones that I've kind of gone through, and I wouldn't consider them crashes, obviously, but the major downturns that I've seen so far that I've been in the market. So we've had March 2018 and then March 2020. And so with those, a lot of people get scared and those weren't even real crashes, but being and having the audience that I had then when those went through those sharp crashes, or I think it was about maybe like 10% in two days or, or something like that. So not real crashes, but still something scary. I heard a lot from people, Austin, why should we be investing? I just lost money. I don't know what I'm doing, whatever. And when I hear those questions, I realize that people don't understand the long-term vision they don't understand why they got into it in the first place. And so what I see is that a lot of people think about the short term and how much money they can make right now, but they don't consider the long term and what happens, right? Regardless of how good the economy is performing, we will always see a recession or crash happen anytime in the market. It just, it happens and it's healthy for the market to crash. It resets values and it gives us time to grow and come back from. And so with that, the market needs to crash occasionally. And when it does, you need to have your mindset right. You need to understand that in the long run, you're going to make money. And so I think the main problem with stock market crashes is that people get scared because they don't see the long-term vision or they're taking more risks than they should. And so there's two ways to combat that problem. So the first one is they don't understand the long-term vision is one, they need to stop looking at their phone and looking at their P&L or their profit and loss every single day. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be looking at it on a year-to-year -year basis on your performance if you're investing long-term, right? And so when you look at your year-to-year -year return, 
then you can start to get a more unbiased opinion, right? Because as investing and we're looking for long-term profits and appreciation in price, then we're looking for that long-term growth. And if we watch the daily movement, then we're going to get pulled into the emotions of the everyday stock market. And when we get pulled into that, we're going to have emotions of worry, of fear, of whatever. Instead, we look at the yearly returns that will have a better keeping of the long-term vision. And also to keep the long-term vision, you need to understand compound interest, right? If you don't understand that staying invested and holding stocks, quality company stocks through the long term actually generates amazing wealth. And so you need to remember the long-term vision is where you're going. You need to hold great stocks for a long time to make real wealth and make money. And in order for it to work, you need to keep investing. So whether the market is down, you need to stay invested and keep investing in the market. And so crashes tend to scare people away from continued investing. And so it all comes down to mindset, right? Like when you see a stock crash, you should be thinking, wow, all these stocks are on sale, right? If they used to trade, like let's say a quality stock, I'm gonna say right now, let's just say Apple, right? I'm gonna throw out some random numbers. Let's say Apple is trading at $300 and then a crash happens and it's now trading at, I know this would be crazy crash, but let's say it's trading at $50. You're telling me you don't wanna buy Apple for a 50 when it's previously traded at 300 and the company is still the exact same? If that is a great company trading at 50 and it's been at 300 before and it's just down because of a crash of the overall market, then you should be buying that. That company, that stock is on sale. And when you can buy that company on sale, then you can lead the way for long-term exponential growth. Another factor that you need to consider is when crashes happen, you don't need to be scared. You need to understand now is the time to invest. And the second problem is that they take more risk than they're okay with. So you need to understand the risk that is involved in the stock market. If you're invested for the long term, then you need to be okay with losing 100% of your portfolio. Again, I'm not saying that's going to happen and that hardly ever happens. But when you set the expectation that you're going to lose all your money and you end up making money, then you're going to be happy. And so I'm not saying you need to fear that all the money that you put into the stock market you'll lose. But I am saying just understand there are risks in the stock market. And if you're not okay with that risk, if you're not okay with the stock going down and you're losing money, then you need to understand that the stock market may not be for you. So a lot of investing and a lot of the stuff that I teach on my YouTube, on my Instagram, on my podcast is that you need to understand yourself before you get into investing. Understand how much risk you're okay with how long you like holding, what sector you know best and focusing on that sector. And with that comes the risk, right? You need to understand your risk. If you can't handle losing money, if you can't handle losing 40% of your portfolio for a short term, then maybe it's not for you. Maybe you should put your money in a savings account. Maybe you should work on handling risk better by working on small risk and then slowly increasing your size. Or maybe you should just buy T-bonds or treasury bills and maybe you could make a safer return that way. Anyway, so that's when it comes down to crashes, is that crashes happen, they're always going to happen, but you need to understand to change your mindset around it, and that it's okay to take a risk, especially on quality companies. I'm not saying like stocks that because of this crash are doing terrible and they're never going to recover. I'm saying companies that were doing well, adjusted to the crash and are still doing well. Investing in stocks that drop on companies like that are what you should be focusing on. Anyways, that's kind of my thoughts on stock market crashes. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, 
major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. You recently talked about this idea around hobbies that I really liked. You said that everyone needs four hobbies. What are those four hobbies and why are they so important? Yeah, so this goes back to what I was mentioning before, where I was saying people should not be watching the market 24-7. They should not be watching the daily movements as much as they are. And they think it's so important, but it's not. And the reason why is because they're bored and they don't have ways to spend their time. So they use their boredom and they use their free time to just stay stuck on the market. And when they do that, you'll have a lot of bad effects come down, right? Like you won't sleep well, you won't have time with family, you'll all be isolated, and you'll worry more because you're constantly watching the market move. And so my idea is that you need four types of hobbies. One that makes you money, one that keeps you creative, one that keeps you in shape, and one that helps you build knowledge, right? 
And so in order to succeed in life, I think you need one of every one of these things. So there's people who focus all on work and then their body suffers and then they can't live a long life because they neglected their health. And then there's people who just do the same thing over and over and over, whether that's for a job or for life or whatever. And that routine, although it's great, does not keep them creative, does not keep their mind thinking, and thus it brings them to a little lull in in their life and they don't have as much imagination or happiness because they haven't stretched or used their brain that much. And then also, I mean, as we can say, is knowledge, right? Like, as I mentioned before, is that you need to be a self-learner. You need to teach yourself to learn and to grow, and that's going to be the way that you set yourself apart and teach yourself how to succeed in life, whether that's with your job, money, relationships, whatever. When you're a self-learner, you are a step ahead of the curve. So if I just kind of go over my one, so my hobby to make money is Instagram and my podcast and YouTube, right? Like, that's what I started. It started off as a hobby and now turned into a job, which is really cool. And I'm starting more things, right? Like I'm going to pick up real estate and whatever else. All these things are fun things that I thought were cool and they're going to help me make money. Again, I've done other stuff before, like where I enjoyed, like I said, when I was younger, I was good at math. And so I would tutor people and that was my hobby. That was fun. That was fun for me, but also made me money. And so there's things that you can charge for or that you can do, or maybe things that you've been interested in learning that you could find a way to learn to do and make money with. And so there has to be a hobby where you can make some money. And that can also be your job if you enjoy it, right? And so the next one is you need a hobby to keep you creative. You need to stretch your brain. You need to think. And I once heard that the best way to keep your brain active and creative is to have an idea journal and to write down 20 new ideas that you've never heard before every single day. And at the end of a month, your brain will be stemming with ideas at everything you see. And why? It's because our brain is a muscle. And if we don't train it to think, if we don't train it to get creative, like paint, draw, think of things that we haven't seen before and try to imagine it, try to draw it and try to make it. If we don't keep our brain that active, then that muscle is going to fatigue and then we're going to lose our creativity skills. Again, if you're at a point where you think you've lost it, it's fine. It's a muscle. You can get it back. It's just going to take some work. And so I think everyone should have a hobby that keeps them creative. All right. The next one is you should have one that keeps you in shape. And so for me, it's a mix of I go to the gym, but the one that I love, the hobby that I enjoy is tennis and pickleball. If you don't know what pickleball is, it's like a mixture of tennis and ping pong. And so what it is, is that's something that I enjoy. I love racket sports. And so I go and I hang out with people and I play racket sports and it keeps me active. It gets me in the sun. I get my vitamin D and it's just really fun to do. And so I think everyone should have that hobby that keeps them active. And so for some people, they may be like, okay, the gym's cool, but I don't enjoy it. Okay, well, hobby is something you enjoy, right? So maybe you enjoy walking past a lake and maybe you should walk that lake more. Or maybe you enjoy scootering. I don't know. Whatever it is that you enjoy that gets you moving is something that you should make into a daily routine in your life or a weekly routine. The last one is you need a hobby to build knowledge, right? So you need a hobby to help you learn more. And so with that, maybe it could be, okay, every single Saturday for one hour, I'm going to learn about X topic, right? Like I am super excited to, let's say, learn about cybersecurity, or I'm super excited to learn how I can save more, or If you've never done with credit cards, and we kind of mentioned earlier in this podcast, is I'm curious to learn how to use credit cards smartly to help me instead of them crush me. And so you give yourself two hours on a weekend, every single weekend to learn that and learn something that you enjoy. It doesn't have to be money related. It doesn't have to be finance related. Just find something you enjoy and start learning because school does a terrible job at teaching you how to get excited to learn. 
they give you things that no one likes and they force you to read it. Well, you need to get that excitement for learning again. And so start with whatever makes you excited and start learning that. And then you'll jump from that to something else to something else. And then you'll eventually keep learning and build up that hobby and that muscle of learning. So yeah, I think it's great to have those four hobbies and something that everyone should have. Warren Buffett, who is one of my favorite investors, has a quote that says, most people get interested in stocks when everyone else is. The time to get interested is when no one else is. You can't buy what is popular and do well. When he said that quote, alternative assets like cryptocurrencies didn't exist. So I'd add that to his quote today. But how do you see that quote relating to the conditions of today's stock and crypto markets? So I know you're more of a value investor. And so Warren Buffett being a value investor, that quote is very true in what he's saying, right? Like if you want to invest in value, if you want to invest in a company that's going to do well in the long run, then you need to find a stock or company before the mass market has jumped on it, hyped up the price and driven the PE ratio, right? And so with that, that is great for a value investing type of approach and something that I totally agree with from that standard. Now, I myself am a swing trader, right? So I'm trying to profit within a week to three months of holding a stock. And with that, I don't really care where the stock is. Like, I don't care where it's going to be in three years. I don't care where it's going to be in a year. I care where it's going to be in the next month or two. And so with that, it doesn't matter if the stock is a new stock or a stock that no one knows about or a very popular stock, right? I'm looking for a company that's going to do well in the next month. And so with that, I'm okay with buying something that people are watching. I'm okay with buying a stock that no people are watching as long as the fundamentals and the technicals are set up to support that move. I mean, that's a great question is where do I see the market, right? And so the market right now, I believe, is very overextended, right? I do think that we see a lot of companies that are way too overpriced right now and that cryptos are very overpriced, right? It's very similar if you do your research on the dot-com type bubble, where if you just put dot-com as the name of your company, then the stock price is going to rise overnight. And that's kind of what we're seeing with crypto, like with the companies that start offering crypto as a payment option, or let's say Elon Musk tweets Dogecoin or something like that. And then we see the rise of that. And so I think that there are a lot of companies and a lot of cryptos that aren't being valued at their fundamental level, aka where they actually can support a price. So where that company or that coin is making enough money or value to support this price that it's at, I think it's way over that level. So it's definitely not healthy. But what I tell the people that follow me a lot, it's because we're mainly swing traders and trend followers, is that just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's right. Like the market will tell you if you're right or wrong. So I believe in following the trend. So right now, the trend is up. And since the trend is up, we're going to be making monies on longs and we're going to be going long. And I thought the market after or when it crashed on March 2020, I expected a way larger crash and I was waiting for it. But even though my opinions and my thoughts said that a bigger crash was coming, I would have missed out on this huge long run, right? And that's why you don't want to stick to your emotions, but follow what the market is saying. And I would say that the market is saying we are in an uptrend and we have been in uptrend since March 2020. And that's why I stayed invested and that's why I'm making money. And so I believe that you need to make your own opinions about the market, right? Especially reading about Warren Buffett, doing your research on stocks and all that great stuff that you should be doing. But you also need to judge where is the market at right now and what's going to be happening. So if you're more of an investor, you should be looking at companies where the stock price is lower than the value of the company. And if you're a swing trader and trend follower like me, 
then you need to be focusing on the trend. What is the trend saying? And right now the trend of the market is up. And so that's what I'm focusing on. You also talked recently about how everyone is a trader. Inherently, I knew these things, but I hadn't really thought of it in the way that you laid it out. Please explain what you mean when you say that everyone is a trader. Yeah. So back then people would trade all the time, right? I know we use the word trader a lot for the stock market, but that's not how it was originally used. It wasn't used for the stock market. It was used to exchange goods. And trading is just exchanging things. As we're a stock trader, we're hoping to exchange a stock at a higher price than where we exchanged it for at the beginning, right? So we're just exchanging things. And that's what a trader is. And so if you think about it from the very beginning, let's say one farmer had a lot of corn and another farmer had cows that produce milk. And let's say the guy on one side wanted milk and the other guy wanted another thing. And so they would trade and that's how they got things and they swapped goods and barter and that whole system, right? And so that's what we still do today. If you think about it, everyone is a trader. And I'm going to pull this, I believe some examples that I gave in that Instagram post was that some people trade their time for a paycheck, right? Like you're trading the amount of time you spend working every week so you can get paid. And so you're trading your time for money. And that's how it works. Some people trade tuition for a degree, right? Some people say, hey, I'm going to pay money to go to college to get this degree. And so I'm going to end up putting in time and money. So I'm going to be trading my time and money in exchange for a degree. And so we're all traders. And when we start to realize that, you can start to think about, wait, am I trading wisely? What am I exchanging? And am I okay with exchanging that? Let's use the example of college. I'm going to use an example and a story of a friend that I know. So this friend was really good at tennis. I played tennis with him in high school and he got a full ride scholarship for tennis to a two-year college. And so that was his first option. And his second option was to go with all his friends to a popular college where he would get no money for and he would have to pay, I think, roughly like 20000 a year for. And so again, should he take the two-year one or should he go to the popular college with all his friends? And so most people don't think of themselves as a trader, but making that decision is a trade. You are a trader when you're making that decision. You're deciding, all right, I'm going to trade my friends and my popularity to go to this two-year college to play tennis. I may not enjoy this college. It may not be my first pick, but I'm going to go for free. And so I'm going to exchange you could say, I'm going to exchange friends and status for money and a two-year degree, and then I can move on from there. Or I can not go to that, and I can exchange my time and money to pay for this other college to get the status and to stay with friends. And I'm not saying one choice is right over the other, but I am saying you need to understand that you are a trader and that everyone is a trader. You are trading something for something else. You are exchanging it, and you need to start thinking about every conversation you have, every decision you make as an exchange, and you need to understand, will this exchange benefit me? And I'm not saying be selfish where you hurt others, but I am saying think about how the decisions are affecting you because you are a trader. People who have been listening to this show for a while likely know that I am often critical of Dave Ramsey. I like some of what he teaches, but most of what he teaches, I do not really like. How is Dave Ramsey keeping people poor? So first off, I don't want to discount Dave Ramsey because one, he's doing the same thing that I'm doing. He's reaching the very beginner and he's helping them get started. And that's awesome. We need beginners to get started. And that's what he empowers them to do with a simple step by step or what he calls the baby steps. And so again, 
That is awesome for those getting started and everyone should be doing that. But when it comes down to people who start to know more, as in when you know better, you do better. And so I think there are some better things that could be taught by Dave Ramsey. And one is he pushes for mutual funds. And so mutual funds is a collection of stocks and companies held to make money, right? So it's basically an ETF. An ETF is just a composition of stocks to track and whatever else. And so with that, I think that you should be pushing for ETFs over mutual funds. Why? Because mutual funds tend to be more actively managed, which means that they have lower performance over time and they also have a higher expense ratio, which means that you are paying more money to have your money in a mutual fund versus an ETF, which is purely a passive investment of them just following certain stocks, especially if you invest in like SPY or VOO or something like that, which is an ETF of the overall market, then you'll be automatically diversified and you'll have a lower expense ratio. And so with that means that you're paying less money to stay invested. And for those who don't know, if you invest in a single stock, you're doing your own investing. So you're not going to pay an expense to do that. But an ETF or a mutual fund, something that's managed by someone else or another corporation or institution is going to charge you money for them to do that. And so if you want to do that, I would say you should go for an ETF over a mutual fund just because one, it's more passive. So it's going to make the same, if not better returns than mutual funds. And it has a lower expense ratio. Also, there are a lot of things about Dave Ramsey, especially that's coming out recently, like some news about some potential lawsuits and what he does in his firing and hiring process that I don't agree with. But in general, like I've said, Dave Ramsey does a great job at helping beginners. But when you know more or when you know better, you should do better. And I think that there's a lot that Dave Ramsey is leaving on the table. Austin, thanks for joining me on the show today. For those listening that want to connect with you after the show, where's the best place for them to go? Of course. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. If people want to find me, they just have to search up The Impeccable Investor. That's what you can find me at on Instagram, on YouTube, and podcast. So my Instagram is at The Impeccable Investor. And so that's really where I'm at. So if you want to follow me, you can do so. And I basically share stock market education, stock picks, free resources, free courses, all that great stuff, all on my Instagram and YouTube, etc. So definitely recommend you check that out. Also, if you're more of a swing trader or investor who likes to see all the stats behind a stock, like the accuracy rating, the risk to reward, the trend, and all that stuff with just a click of a button, then I'd recommend you check out the software that I have. It's really awesome. It's called the Impeccable Stock Software. So if you want to learn more about that, I'm sure the link will be below, but it's www.theimpeccablestocksoftware.com slash free trial for a completely free 14-day free trial. Anyways, thanks for having me on here, Robert. I really enjoyed it. All right, guys, that's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.